page 1178 of your pew Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1. Here now the reading of the word of Almighty God, Ephesians 1, the whole chapter starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after, ye believe, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet, 
and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And thus far the reading of God's holy word from Ephesians chapter 1. Quite a powerful passage of scripture here by the Apostle Paul. It's in the Greek, one continuous sentence. There aren't stops or periods. It's just going on and on and building and piling higher and higher the greatness of the gospel. This epistle is a famous epistle. Very famous phrases in this. But God, a famous phrase from this epistle we'll see in chapter 2. Here we'll see these great things about the glory of God. The grace by which we're saved. The church of Jesus Christ the duties of husbands and wives. This epistle encompasses so many things in such a short compass. First in verses 1 and 2 here of chapter 1, we have the salutation, the address, and his office. Then in verses 3 through 6, we have the Father. Now you'll notice this passage deals with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in that order. First then is the Father in verses 3 through 6. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who caused our salvation, in other words. He's to be blessed primarily. It says, verse 3, This Father of our Lord Jesus Christ hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. We bless God because he blessed us. It's the same verb in the Greek means to speak well of someone, to praise someone. But when God speaks well of us, he accomplishes salvation for us and in us. When we speak well of him, do we change anything? Do we accomplish anything for him? No. We merely speak well of the good things that he has done for us. There is a twofold blessing. Notice our blessings are in heavenly places in Christ. Do you think that Satan can go up and take our blessings away? Of course not. They're above the heavens. Ep uranios, he says. Above or upon, above all heavens. There is Christ seated at the right hand of God. That's where our blessings are. God, the Father, has blessed us with all those spiritual blessings. They are in the heavenly places. They're secured for us in Christ. And now, how is it? What is the rule that God used to mete out his blessings to us? Verse 4 tells us, According as he hath chosen us in him, when? After we decided to believe in him, God said, I now choose you to be my servant. Is that what it says? No. God chose us, and this is the rule for all his blessings, in Christ Jesus, before he even founded the world from all eternity. And he had a purpose that God would bring us to everlasting life even before the world was founded. That's a marvelous thought. Can the devil take away God's eternal purpose? Can he take away Jesus Christ and all the blessings we have seated there at the right hand of the Father? Of course not. And this is the rule. I note then God's eternal election. This is the fountain and the controlling fact for all other spiritual blessings. Christ is the chosen one. 
And we are chosen in him before the foundations of the world were laid. Do you know why Satan doesn't like the doctrine of election? Because it gives glory to Jesus Christ and the Father. And so he wants to go about and make people think, oh, that's a bad idea. That's going to make people lazy. You shouldn't believe in that. You shouldn't have that confidence in Christ. Just be a little more reliant upon yourself. No. If we would like to be confident in our spiritual blessings rather than doubtful, if we would desire a holy boldness as opposed to being afraid of losing it all, well, then listen to Satan. Don't believe what it says here. But if you would like to believe the gospel, here it is. God the Father chose you in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. Verse 5 having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. There we see God in his grace. God predetermining that we would be adopted because who's his son? Jesus Christ is his son, his only natural son begotten from all eternity. And what are we? Aliens, enemies, wicked works, children of wrath, we'll see in chapter 2. But when we are united in Jesus Christ from all eternity, God says, they are my people. They are my children. They partake in my testament. They receive my goods, he says. Listen to this. I want you to hear how the church through many ages thought about this very passage. John Chrysostom, whom I usually quote favorably, not so here. He says, now if men in their choices choose what is best... Much more doth God. Do you hear that? God's like a man, he's saying. You choose what is best. God chooses like that. And indeed, the fact of their being chosen is at once a token of the loving kindness of God and of their moral goodness. Excuse me? Is that what the apostle said? That God chose you because you're morally good? Now, this leads to the heresy of Pelagianism. That man is seen as the worker of his own salvation because after all, God chose me because (laughs) I'm morally good. Nanner, nanner, nanner. All those people God didn't choose. You know why? Because they're not morally good like moi. I'm morally good. So God chose me. He saw that I would believe and all those other people. Huh. What about Jacob and Esau? Did God choose Jacob because he was such a sparkling, clean, morally good person? You know what his name means? Liar. One who takes by the heel and deceives. He steals the blessing from his brother Esau. Little wimp sitting in tents with mama. And there's Esau out there hunting and Isaac loves the venison he makes for him. A man's man. And this little wimp, you're going to choose him? Yes. Because the purpose of God, according to election, would stand not of him that willeth, but of God who chooses. They had done no good or evil, but God set his love upon Jacob and he set his hatred upon Esau. No, Chrysostom, sorry. It's not because you're morally good. It's because God is merciful to us in the gospel. He predestinated us to adoption. Why? Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Now let me ask you, if it's because I'm morally good, who gets the praise? Who gets the credit? God only? No. 
I would then share the credit with God. I'd rip it out of his hands and say, yep, you chose me because I'm good. That's right. That's why you did it, Lord. I thank you, God, that I am not like other men, even like this publican here. I'm a good person. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Come on, God. I'm doing pretty good. That's why you love me. That's why you chose me. Nope. That one went down in the bondage of sin and death. And that little publican that he was pointing his finger at, who said, God, be propitiated for me, the sinner, went down to his house justified. That's the gospel. If you think you're a good person, you don't believe the gospel. If you recognize that you are lost and undone without Christ, that God had to purpose before he even founded the world to save you, that's how bad you were going to be, then you know the gospel. Then you can believe in Jesus. And it's to God's glory alone, to the praise of his glorious grace. Now we'll also see that it's to the praise of the glory of Christ's grace. Verse 12, as we read, and verse 14, the Holy Spirit. This is the goal of this truth of predestination, the glory of God. Why do you think Satan wants to snuff it out? Because he doesn't want God to be glorified. He wants the creature to glory in itself so that we will reject the glory of God. Note, God the Father made us accepted, or literally, He graced us in Christ Jesus, in the Beloved. Now, this word beloved is David in the Hebrew, the beloved of God. David, the one who is loved by God. But David is a mere shadow of the love that the Father bears to His only begotten Son. And why is that? Jesus told us. Why does the Father love Him so much? Because he said, I always do what the Father commands me to do. I always do what pleases the Father, and because of that, he loves me. And let me ask you, if you are in one that God is always pleased with, can God be displeased with you? No. That's why he says we are accepted in the beloved Son of God That brings him to verses 7 through 12. The Son, redemption by His grace, according to the revealed purpose to gather all in one under Christ. We have redemption. We possess it right now, verse 7 tells us. It's not later. This this is a present possession. How did we get this redemption? Through His blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. This is how God gives out his benefits. This is how he releases us from bondage through the death of the testator. You receive the benefits. All your sins are canceled. And God did this in his wisdom and prudence. But also note verse 9, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Who planned the death of Christ? Judas Iscariot? The Sanhedrin? No. Our Father in heaven, in His Son, Jesus Christ, purposed in Himself. He didn't look to anybody else. He didn't ask for permission. He didn't look down through the annals of history and figure out, oh, they'll do this. What do I do then? If they do this, what am I supposed to do next? No. He purposed this in Himself. He decreed this of His own will, according to His good pleasure. Could it be any clearer? God is the one who came up with this. It was according to his purpose. 
I note then that God's decree was solely determined by himself, not foreseen faith, good works, or perseverance in either of those. It's solely according to the good pleasure of his will. Therefore, let us reject with the apostles this notion of our own deserving, our own merits, that we can do something and God will respond to give us good things in the gospel. Are we actually morally good, as Chrysostom says, and that's why God chose us? Poppycock, rubbish, hogwash, those are theological terms. God purposed in himself that we should be saved in Jesus Christ, that we should be adopted, that we should receive an inheritance. And God is going to sum up or gather together in one all things in Christ, whether in heaven above or upon the earth. Christ will have dominion. Did you know he has it right now? By the law of the resurrection, he was given all authority in heaven and upon the earth. What we have in the gospel age is what is his by right being made his in fact. It's going to be his because he owns it all already. And God is gathering all things together in him. And in him we have obtained an inheritance. Christ is the firstborn, the heir of all things. And guess who we're united to? Christ himself, the heir of all things, the elect of God. And when did we get united to Jesus? In all eternity past, before God even founded the world, he put you in Christ and gave you this inheritance. Glorious things are spoken of Jesus in this passage. And he says then that we are predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. If you didn't get it by now, you can now see very clearly, Paul doesn't leave us place to boast, does he? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Everything was given to you by God's kindness in Jesus Christ. You have no place to boast. I have no place to boast. I can't say, God, look at me how good I am. My moral goodness, my faith, my perseverance, my holiness, my good works. No! God receives the glory. God made the purpose. God did not look to creatures. He didn't need us. He didn't wait for us. Because if he did, he'd be waiting for all eternity and we'd all burn in hell. And note verse 12. Why is it that God purposed it in himself? That we, that's the purpose, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. That's God's purpose. That we should glorify him. That he would receive the credit for our salvation. Here the Son is to be glorified as we saw the Father in verse 6. And as we'll see the Spirit in verse 14, the glory of God alone. We have the five solas of the Reformation. This is one of them, to the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. To God's glory alone is our salvation. We who first trusted in Christ, in other words, we Jews, because he then contrasts that in the next verse with ye Gentiles. We Jews, when we trusted in Christ, we didn't have anything to boast about. And you Gentiles, you have nothing to boast about either. It's to the glory of the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father. So then, verses 13 and 14, the Spirit 
is the earnest upon believing as a pledge of our full inheritance, in whom ye also trusted, again pointing us back to Christ, and also pointing us to hearing and believing as the moment in which we were sealed. They're all at the same time. The two, hearing and believing, those are what we call participles. They describe a verb. They tell us something about this verb. And the verb is, ye were sealed. We didn't seal ourselves, notice. This is something that was done to us by whom? By the Holy Spirit of promise. The Spirit of God did something to us at the very moment of faith and of hearing the word savingly sealed us. He put a stamp, he put a mark upon us and said, this one is mine. This one is mine. He worked faith in us. He caused the word to beget us again. Do you remember Ezekiel speaking to those valley of dry bones? What was it that finally brought them to life? The word of God came into the ears of those bones and they came up and had flesh. But when did they actually come to life? When the Spirit of God moved upon them, then the mighty army was resurrected. You see, the Word, the Spirit, and the sealing of God's Holy Spirit causes faith, moves us to eternal life. This is not a second work of grace. Some people say that. I'm looking for that second work. Well, Paul says, go back to the first. That's what you need. If you want to know, am I sealed with the Holy Spirit? Ask yourself, did I hear and believe? Because that's the moment at which you were sealed. At the very time you heard and believed the gospel, Paul says, you were sealed by God's Holy Spirit. At that moment, the Spirit of promise. He calls him the Holy Spirit of promise, verse 13. Remember Acts 2, the promises to you and to your children. That God would pour out his Holy Spirit and that baptism signifies this. He is the earnest, verse 14, of our inheritance. When a man is serious or in earnest with a woman to marry her, do you know what he gives her? An arabon. That's what that word is, earnest. He gives a down payment for the rest of the dowry. I'll give you this ring and you'll get the rest of the goods later. Or when a person would buy a parcel of ground or, or a house... They would give a first payment to say, I'm serious. I really want to buy this from you. I know I owe you 100 shekels. Let me pay you two right now, and I'll go get the other 98, and I'll buy it, and we'll seal the deal. It'll be done. That's an arabon. It is a down payment. It is an earnest payment. I'm serious about this. God says, I'm serious about your inheritance. I purposed it in all eternity past that you should be to adopted sons through Jesus Christ, but I'm serious. I'm sending my spirit into your hearts so that you may know that I will bring the rest of the goods later. You will inherit all in my testament. The testator has died and shed his blood. You can mark it down. You're getting the rest. And here's the earnest the spirit of the living God, the earnest of our inheritance. God's covenant of grace is testamental in reference to Christ who is the heir. Our inheritance with him, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. He died as the testator and he's the mediator or the one who makes sure that we get all the goods. And he sent his spirit to prove it, to show us his earnestness. Let us rejoice 
in our inheritance. Let us bask in the grace of the Holy Spirit who sealed us upon our hearing with faith, who guarantees that future inheritance to us. And notice verse 14, who gets the credit? Who gets the glory? Again, the Holy Spirit, unto the praise of His glory. The grace of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the grace of that Spirit of promise. Our salvation is Trinitarian. One God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and all three are at work to save us. Then finally, verses 15 through 23, thanksgiving for their faith and a prayer for the perfecting of them in knowledge of Christ. He said he ceased not to give thanks for you. Notice, not to you. He didn't say, great job, you made your decision. No. I give thanks to God on your behalf, Ephesians Because I heard that you believed and that you love all the people of God. And who is it that worked love in your heart? Who is it that worked faith in your hearts? Well, the person he's thanking, obviously, God himself. God worked faith in them. I thank you. I do not cease to give thanks on your behalf, he says, because God gave you these benefits. God did good to you. And now I want him to do more good for you, he says. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We believers can be dim-sighted in our eyes, in our minds. We can have a constricting of our graces. We cannot understand the revelation of God revealed in the scripture and in Jesus Christ. Our knowledge can go backwards. We can forget the things that we once knew. So he's praying, oh, Lord God, who first worked faith and love in these saints, please, oh God, open the eyes of their understanding that they may be able to see and know those things freely given and also that they may have the enlightenment of their minds, mental clarity to grasp the truth, the propositions revealed in Scripture, how those propositions relate to each other. What are the conclusions I should draw from these things? How should I live in light of these truths? That's what he's praying for. That's the spirit of enlightenment of our minds, that the understanding may see clearly the things revealed by God. We should pray this for one another, should we not? And for all of God's people, God, help your people to understand your word, to know what it says, to know the great promises of God, that you may know the hope of his calling What is it that we expect from God? That's our hope. What is it that in the future he's yet going to give us? He's now given us the earnest, the spirit, and we know he'll give us the rest. God, I pray that they would know these things, what they hope for in Christ. The hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is it in God's testament we have yet to receive? What are the benefits we're yet to enjoy? What are they? Well, God's word tells us and we're to pray that God's people grasp these things tightly. You will be with God and the Lord Jesus Christ forevermore. You'll be made perfect in your spirit. Or if you die when Jesus returns, you'll be transformed and have a resurrection body in the twinkling of an eye. You'll be with saints and angels praising God as one eternal Sabbath that never ends. 
You never go back out of the presence of God. You stay there forevermore. You're without sin, completely freed from all temptation. That mutable will that God gave to Adam, he will decide that will will be fixed in service and love to me. This is what God has in store for us. And we're to pray for one another that we may grasp these things with mental clarity and apply them in our lives. Now, again, when he refers to this inheritance, he immediately starts thinking about our elder brother, the one through whom we inherit. So he starts talking about the working of God's mighty power toward us who believe. And the same power, um, what's he going to talk about? The resurrection. This power that he used to raise Christ from the dead. He raised him up and set him at his right hand. And there we have Christ ruling and reigning far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. You see, Christ has the dominion now. He currently possesses through his resurrection all authority in heaven and upon the earth. And God will complete that work in us. He has made him the head over all things to the church He has universal dominion focused on his people and we are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Thus far Ephesians chapter 1 in the word of God.